You're listening to an Arts Mitten podcast. Our content reaches. Arts Mitten would like to expand that respect to Bunjil, the great creator ancestor of the Kulin nations. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Sin FM 90.7. I'm your host, Audrey, and this is Art Smitten. And today I wanted to talk about romanticism, um, being that it is Valentine's Day. And I feel like it's a movement that is maybe less understood in the larger scope of things. So romanticism was a reactionary movement in the Western canon from the late 18th century to the mid-19th. Rather than relating to romance as a conception of love, it would be what we describe as romanticizing something today, to make it grandiose, idealized, and sometimes destructive. Across all forms of art, Dictionary Britannica describes it as a rejection of the precipice of order, calm, harmony, balance, idealization, and rationality that typified classicism. Romantic attitudes leans towards appreciation of the vast and untamed beauty of nature, or the sublime, turning away from the logic and rationality of the time, exulting instead in experiencing our emotions and senses fully, an understanding of the artist as an individual character, a genius who is driven by human personality. Specifically instated in the aftermath of the French Revolution in 1789, romanticism considered the importance of the sublime, creating artwork that spoke to the violent and destructive tendencies of nature, motifs such as shipwrecks, storms, mountainous ranges with tumultuous cloud formations. On the side of portraiture, leaning towards painterly descriptions of a subject's mental state, emotional vulnerability, and primal understanding. Welcome back. You're listening to Art Smitten on Sin FM 90.7. And just to continue on with our conversation about romanticism, a movement without a clear definition, basing itself instead on a feeling rather than a set of rules or traditions, and glorifying the individual and the world around us. Romanticism highlighted courage and belief and strength and emotion at a time when higher powers use logic and reason as a systemic objective. One of the more well-known pieces of this movement would be German romantic Caspar David Friedrich's Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog from 1818. I would dare say that most of you have seen that piece. Um... It's a typifying masterpiece that describes a man standing over a cliff, strong in stance and courageous of heart. And the work evokes the sublime and challenges us to contemplate the path of life. Another probably well-known work would be The Raft of Medusa by Jarek Holt, which is also the cover image for the Pogues album Rum, Sodomy and the Lash. And I'll be finishing up this loose definition of romanticism with a quote by Novalis, German romantic philosopher and poet. To romanticize the world is to make us aware of the magic, mystery, and wonder of the world. It is to educate the senses to see the ordinary as extraordinary, 
the familiar as strange, the mundane as sacred, and the finite as infinite. Welcome back, lovers. You're listening to Sin FM um, 90.7. I'm your host of Art Smitten, Audrey. I've talked a bit about romanticism, I've given a loose definition, and now I wanted to jump into neo-romanticism. Neo simply as a prefix referring to revival or new. So in terms of neo-romanticism, I would say it's typically referring to the movement of painting in the 1930s and 40s that reacted to the nature of the Second World War using modernist principles to describe the grotesque horrors of the time. Artists whose experiences meant that they broke from their typical painting practices to focus on describing these horrors that they'd witnessed. Um, artists such as Henry Moore and his graphic drawings of wartime air raid shelters, uh, generally describing Westerners, specifically British painters. The subjects included more figures than earlier conceptions of Romanticism, stepping toward a sombre representation of the brutality of humanity. Uh, One of the most notable of this period, in my opinion, would be Paul Nash, whose surrealist imagined landscapes reflected on the war in ways that spoke to this idea of the sublime uh, within Romanticism, the destructive and ruling nature of fate. Uh, specifically highlighted, I would highlight his piece, Pillar and Moon, began painting this work in 1932, finishing a decade later in 42, um, and in this piece his imagined landscape is cracked by rough strokes of oil brush on canvas. Uh, Pillar and Moon's perspective leans to the dramatic depictions of nature that typified the Romantic landscape period, giving it a modernist twist through his evocative stylization um, and the imaginative conception of the work. Um, I would say that some other major neo-romantics you could look into of the time included John Minton, Keith Vaughan, Robert McBride, and the early works of Lucian Freud. Uh, Today, I've been talking about all things romanticism, just in time for Valentine's Day, including the neo-romantic period of British painting post-World War II. Uh, For more information on the show, follow us on Instagram at artsmittensin. And to dive right back in, in researching the the neo-romantic period, I, I, I drew some comparisons to what I would argue are as is common here, that these neo-romantic trends found themselves uh, in Australian modernist art decades later in the 1980s. Um, Artists and galleries alike found a new interest in depictions of the Australian landscape through these same understandings of the sublime, as well as concern with romantic issues in delving into the emotional aspects, uh, particularly in painting. Exhibitions such as A New Romance at the National Gallery of Australia in 1987 and The Sublime Imperative at Acker in 1991. A New Romance heralded contemporary painters of the time who were touching on aspects of Romanticism and continuing its legacy. 
uh, the most prominent work in this exhibition uh, and the hero image of the exhibition uh, was Immense Tiller's Mount Analogue from 1985. Um, this work was derived from Eugene von Girard's painting Northeast View from the northern top of Mount Kosciuszko, a long name, <laughs> from 1863. Um, so Tillers repeats this sublime scene of nature in Girard's painting, transposing the work into measured panels, typical of his practice, each slightly different in colour and in depth. Um, usually in his paintings of the, around the same time, he uh, would thread words and phrases in to these panelled pieces, but with this work, he leaves the awe of nature to speak for him um, in, a, in a romantic sensibility uh, in line with, with the movement. In my opinion, uh, this piece joins romanticism through the six or so panels in the upper left corner, repetitions of these swirling clouds that are representative of the movement. By mixing and matching these classical cloud studies not quite matching them as the puzzle we would expect, Tillers was able to bring the sublime into a modern context. And the sublime and romanticism itself um, being emotional descriptions, emotional visual descriptions, rather than literal depictions of landscapes. So romantic depictions of nature used in order to describe mental state or emotion rather than faithfully describing the scene. Um, I was chatting with a friend of mine at lunch today and she noted that maybe I should have a read of this keynote address. And so to quote Malcolm Andrews in his 2007 keynote address and, and later paper, uh, The Emotional Truth of Mountains, Ruskin and J.M.W. Turner, in that these paintings aim to to reconcile the objective, visual, geological truth of mountains with the subjective, mental, emotional experience of mountain scenery. Uh, I'm your host, Audrey, and I've been discussing with you romanticism, neo-romanticism, neo-romanticism in Australian, modern art of the 80s and 90s. As usual, in researching a movement such as this, I kind of began to consider its involvement in the nature of contemporary art, um, specifically in Melbourne, and what I had recently seen that spoke to these ideas visually and emotionally. So I ended up making my way to the Melbourne Art Library to see whether I could find any older exhibition catalogues um, in which I could stumble across the kind of work that I was searching for. Uh, in his book, New Romantics, Darkness and Light in Australian Art, Simon Gregg highlights the resurgence of romantic ideas, a return to passion in art and a return to atmosphere and awe. And so in, in my consideration of, of what I've seen recently that kind of aesthetically speaks to past understandings of romanticism, um, I figured uh, Neon Park's current exhibition in South Yarra of Irene Hannenberg's work. Um, the exhibition is called Dirty Borrowed Stardust. Um, and I think that her work really speaks to this concept. 
I recall my experiences with these tiny canvases as A5 windows into the sublime. Her abstraction of the typical tempestuous landscape of romanticism brings with it an, an understanding of memory rather than a description of place. These landscapes are from a dream, a kind of a vortex of the emotions and colours that fill our heads in that moment before sleep. They are chaotic representations of, of what Irene describes as liminal portals into other worlds. Um, and, and I think aesthetically they, they really speak to, to original conceptions of romanticism um, in terms of landscape and also of fantasy in a way, um, a kind of a world building that, that brings the viewer to, to the emotional state or at least to the emotions that, that an artist wants you to feel when you look at their work. Welcome back. You're listening to Art Smitten, uh, I guess our Valentine's special um, on Sin 90.7 FM. Uh, today I've been talking about romanticism, neo-romanticism, and um, romanticism or romantic attributes in contemporary Australian art. Um, and I mentioned uh, in the last segment um, a current show of Irene Hannenberg's uh, paintings at Neon Park Gallery in South Yarra. In that I believe that Irene Hannenberg's practice brings Baroque, Romantic and sublime perceptions to our contemporary understanding of the fantasy landscape. Um, I think that her work directly responds to J.M.W. Turner's Seascape Paintings, another um, obvious representation of romanticism um, that Hannenberg puts a contemporary spin on this classical painting language. Uh, similarly, Elizabeth Newman's colour abstractions, such as uh, her piece Evening Scene, bring this kind of emotional recognition to visual narratives. Another example of romantic or sublime attributes in contemporary Australian art, uh, I think would be Samantha Hobson's abstractions of country and life. She lives in the Lockhart River community in far north Queensland. Um, and I think that her, her drip paintings, or just paintings in general, feature a passionate understanding of how experimentation with painterly techniques can produce emotional descriptions of life um, in a way that maybe traditional painting cannot. For example, her 2019 piece, Burning Grass Season, epitomises the visual storytelling that the medium of painting can produce. At one glance, you are surrounded by hot wind, scorching grass, and choking on smoke. This kind of grand, great and destructive natural event shown through aesthetic narrative is the sublime at its peak. There's many more cases that I could that I could bring up uh, on this show, but I think I really just am interested in in you taking this understanding of the movement and the aesthetic 
ideals um, and philosophical ideals of an art movement such as this and taking it away with you and, and thinking about it whenever you are next at a gallery or or you're next interacting with a work that that gives you these kind of feelings. Um, if this segment has interested you or if you've seen some new romantic works in the past year or so, uh, feel free to reach out on social media um, at the moment mostly on Instagram uh, at Art Smitten Sin. You've been listening to Art Smitten, the place for arts and culture on Sin Radio. Tune in next Wednesday from 3 o'clock and I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to an Art Smitten podcast. You can listen to Art Smitten live every Saturday from 12pm on Sin. Sin.